Hello everybody, welcome to Broombagoon, you will not get there on a road bike. Season number 6, episode number 2. I can't stay into my socks because I'm so excited about having arrived until here and also about the episode that you're gonna listen to today. Two main topics. One, my favorite sport, I'm talking about cyclocross because you cannot get there on a road bike. And the second one is mental health. I am interviewing Bran Friedrich and uh, maybe this is too German, Ben Friedrich and we're gonna talk about all these things plus so many other things. Great episode. If you arrived until here you know as well that you can go to the broom wagon wherever. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever. Spreaker, of course. Spreaker as well. And please if you put a great rating, five stars are really appreciated, or and a comment is gonna be great and then remember as well that you can really share this episode with all this with all your peers with all your crew with all your homies is gonna be actually super super beneficial for me because as you all know this year this podcast is quite independent it's just living out of your donations down below the coffee link you can donate a few coins there and uh, you're gonna let me be a bit more free and independent i mean this is what it is for me so it's a side project but also on the other side if i invest more time and if i invest more efforts there i can improve my well-being but also your well-being and also this podcast so if you like it drop some coins below uh, as you know in this season i tend to uh, give a one or in this case two um, charities where you can donate some money it's super important because thanks to these things these charities are gonna survive and they're gonna help more people this time i actually would mention three of them one the easiest if you go to the small project uh, sorry the small monsters project.com you can donate some coins there and this is exactly the charity or is becoming actually a non-profit directly from ben and is gonna advocate on anything related to brain injuries and as well mental health also if you scout a bit more into his page you're gonna find two more interesting charities that you can donate one of them is love your brain and it's exactly about that brain injuries and all the research and all the support to people that had these traumatic injuries are going to be supported actually to lo from two ah wait are going to be supported by uh, yes by love your brain and another one is actually the trevor project who gives support to young lgbtq plus uh, people that they are struggling on getting their place into this society that is not super welcoming yet for them and basically the main goal for them is really avoiding people getting suicide i mean the suicidal of lgbtq plus uh, young people and they're giving great support and they have also a hotline 24 7 they're just doing amazing things think about donating to them it's really important shall we jump directly into the episode now i think we can ben the mic is yours Episode number two of the Broom Wagon podcast. I'm going to go straight to the point, misspelling and mispronouncing your name and surname. Ben Frederick. 
How are you doing, man? Ah, that's really good. I'm I'm doing great. I have to say that it was actually your name and surname are quite easy. Thanks a lot for everybody in the world and actually your family and everybody just to give you such an easy name to spell for me. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I, I heard that you lived in Berlin for a bit. So the, the Frederick, Friedrich, it's, you know, all related. Yes, yes, yes. I think it's a patronymic thing, right? From Frederick. Ah, maybe. Let's not go too much into <laughs> So thanks a lot for being here. Uh, maybe I can probably make a little intro about yourself, but actually better not to do it. I'm going to just put a little anecdotal part. It's the part that I like actually the most to say. Uh, I was uh, seeing about your amazing adventure in Europe through your social media. Then I actually dig, dig, dig a bit more and checked a bit more into your past and actually saw whatever is coming for you. And thanks a lot for doing everything you're doing. And you're going to say what more. But the biggest link then that I asked to in order to have this contact with you and then making this interview is actually to Matt from Matt Kwan, I think, from or not. And because basically you are working together. And so this was the perfect link. I also had the opportunity to say hi again to uh, Matt after a few years. And then also he put us in contact. So thanks a lot for being here. And what's up and shout out also to Matt. Now probably, basta, it's okay. Too much of me talking. You can introduce yourself if you want. Hi, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Ben. Um, among other things, I ride bikes and have a really good time doing it. And you'll, I, gu I guess you'll hear, you'll hear more as we go through the talk. So stay tuned. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. So first of all, where are you at the moment? Uh, I live in San Francisco, California. I've been here for coming up on a year. Um, so still haven't done a full calendar year here and, uh, have been, yeah, it's, it's an interesting place to live. Um, given, you know, the, the seasonality, I lived in, uh, Boulder, Colorado, and I lived in the, on the East coast of the United States where it would be like, I don't know, this time of year, uh, in Boulder, it's 11 degrees Fahrenheit with four inches of snow or, you know, a high of 32. Um, the coldest, the coldest it's been here is like 41 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's living the California dream. That's great. I mean, and also on the other side, yes, it's a bit something like this kind of eternal spring that you're living in San Francisco with a bit more of alpine, I don't know, alpine kind of uh, scenarios and landscapes and also weather that you can see in, uh, in Boulder, Colorado. Even if I have to be, I've been in San Francisco already once, uh, but actually mm -hmm. one of my dreams is also to go and double check and check and have a look. Wow, what's going on in Boulder, Colorado? I don't know. A lot of cycling kind of, a big cycling communities there and also mountaineering community. Looks like a good place if you like outdoors, isn't it? Definitely. Um, it's, it's much more of a... Uh, competitive cycling area um there's it's a, it's a big race culture there where you could race uh every every day on the weekends and then in midweek too um and it's very easy to access races uh and then in the winter you can go skiing there's cross-country skiing in like the local parks um if there's snow uh but Compared to San Francisco, there's a lot more people who just ride bikes for fun. Um, the racing culture isn't as deep, and it takes a little bit to get to, which has been an interesting, uh, interesting change since moving here. Um, but you know, like anywhere, uh, there's positives and minuses, and um, 
yeah, it's 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 been really it's been a cool journey throughout my life to be able to live in. I, I think I'm up to like twelve different places in the wow. past tw- twelve years, uh, just trying to follow. You know, the cheap couch or the cheap apartment or mm. where the team is based or where, you know, where the, you know, the, the fast riders are that I want to be around or where the job or love or wherever takes you. Mm. I've been, been able to see a lot of the country with with a bicycle as the through line. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's super interesting, and actually, I, I really love your attitude. It seems like more or less like mine. I also try and tend to travel around, in this case, Europe quite a bit. But also, it's super good as well, also to to move at a certain point, to leave boundaries around, leave boundaries apart, and then move into another country and or to another place and start again. Everything related to that, and it's cool to have this kind of feel rouge or linking uh, item tool that we all have. I mean, especially people that are listening to this podcast, that is in particular bicycle or could be in general adventure, cycling or outdoors or whatever like this. I think it's a good glue that keeps together a good amount of people on one side and also socially it's super nice. And and it gives you a community just to like drop into, you know, like you. the first thing I do when I move to a new place is look up the group rides mm-hmm. and then I'll show up on a group ride and then it's just instant socialization and meeting people. Mm-hmm. like-minded people at, at like a very base level you like to be outside and you like to ride a bike and then obviously it can like branch off from there and um, I've made a lot of great friends through that that's super nice shall we talk talking about communities and talking about group rides tell me a bit more about the ride that you did this morning you were telling to me about the chicken rides uh, chicken ride, yeah. right yeah chicken like ride before. chicken ride tell me more because it looks pretty fascinating and then this is out of the way we can start to talk <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, So much longer than I've been even riding bikes, there's been this ride called the Chicken Ride that happens um, in or outside of San Francisco. It meets at 710 and we leave on the dot from the meeting spot at 710. And um, you roll out through Tiburon, which is like a peninsula um, in Mill Valley. And there's a section of road called... Uh, the paradise loop and it's twisty and up and down and uh people say it's the hardest 15 minutes that you'll go during your week okay um and so it's social catch up and then we hit the bottom of this climb and then it's just full gas um it's a bunch of ex-pro racers um some people there like help develop what we call mountain biking now like otis guy um, who was on the six pack re or the the repack series um, way back in the seventies shows up every week, um, and these guys have been doing this together for twenty years, and wow. it's been really really cool as like a young young thirty three year old kid to kind of like you know get taken in by these guys and and you know be a part of you know this piece of history even though it's just pedaling bikes hard on Friday mornings. Um, I mean, what, what, what the, go early, ahead. early Friday morning, so that's already another point. I think that you need to stick on it because it's already a good start into the weekend. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's seven, you meet, yeah, 7, 10 a.m. That's good. Um, and why it's called the chicken ride uh, is you win a rubber chicken uh, wearing a Vive Leclerc uh, jersey, um, and the winner of the week holds on to the chicken through the following week and then brings it 
you know, the next week and puts it in their jersey pocket. And that way, kind of like a yellow jersey, people know who the the fast one is. Mm -hmm. And that's the guy you got to beat to win the chicken. Um, And then after after the sprint, we all go and uh, the winner buys everyone coffee. Wow. And you just sit there and bullshit about how how the ride went who who attacked where man it's really cool that you went so hard up donkey hill or like at the you know at the chicane i thought i had you and it's just really fun and social it's i don't know it's a bunch of old men being kids uh and so this morning was an interesting morning because it was very rainy and cold for for california and uh i showed up just in case, because I had the chicken this week, and I didn't want to do the chicken a disservice uh, and not show up. Uh, but I was the only one, so by default, I win <laughs> win it for another week. So you are two times chicken winner. Winner, winner, two times chicken dinner. That's uh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. is it uh, paved or unpaved? Paved. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. So you're good also uh, that. Good to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's nice. That's nice. So Ben, let's kick it in. How? I mean, who is Ben? We talked already about that. How chicken? Chicken. I mean, now you got this chicken into my head. It's never go away. It's never gonna go away anymore. How cycling got into your life? Um, I let's see. Um, I I started late relative to, I guess, like, peers um, that I race against. Uh, I didn't start riding riding a bike in the, I guess, if we were to call it cycling, I didn't start cycling until um, going into my freshman year of college. Um, I had ridden a bike. I had, like, I could ride a bike, but I didn't get my first nice mountain bike until I was uh, going into college. And... Even then, it was to, like, ride downstairs and do urban tricks and things like that. Um, <clears throat> and then a friend going into... After my freshman year, a friend was like, you should try this mountain bike race. And so I was wearing, uh, like, board shorts, like surf shorts, and I had platform pedals and skate shoes, and I won the beginner category. Okay. And, and so... I won like a tire and like a tool and I was like, this is pretty cool. And so it made me want to do more. Uh, and so I did mountain bikes for, I guess, two years and tried to get as good as I could as quickly as I could. Um, and then I started doing group rides on the road and that really lit me up because you're, you're able to race like elbow to elbow with someone instead of time trialing in the woods. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so then I, really dove deep into the road scene. Um, in the U.S., we have different categories. Like, you start at a Category 5 all the way up to Category 1 as an amateur, and then you can you have access to race against pros and also try to get a pro contract. Um, and I went from Category 5 to Category 2 in one season um, and then raced at the, the professional level uh, for, like, four years um, as a cat one in the US uh, and really tried to to make it there um, and then 
on the on the side I I had this thing called cyclocross that I loved to do, uh, but couldn't quite justify going fully into cyclocross. Uh, but finally, I guess in two thousand. 15, I decided to, to go all in on cyclocross and um, was able to get 12th at our national championships and uh, really tried to make a go there. That's super nice. So, I mean, then pro, uh, I mean, road pro road cycling was, ah, no, actually, mountain bike was the door, the gate to get in, then road, and then cyclocross. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a bit more about cyclocross? So um, why at a certain point you went so much full in the cyclocross? What attracted you? It was a bit more about the racing itself or the community itself or the kind of efforts or why? I mean, that's a question that I would probably ask to anybody who loves cyclocross because I love it as well. But I love it, of course, from another perspective, not a racing perspective, but mm. also as a racing perspective. How... Is it possible that, anyways, this kind of uh, this kind of racing, this kind of riding, is such a niche, but still attracts attracts so many people, and uh, you can really make out a career or a living, especially in Europe here. Super, it's really possible out of cyclocross and really being there so much. What? How is special? What's special? There's, I guess, there's a few few different ways that that led me to cyclocross. Um, one is I have, I have really good technical skills from mountain biking. Um, and so it's free speed in cyclocross. Uh, there's also the element from road cycling that I really like of racing elbow to elbow with people. Um, and, and at every corner there's a race, race to it. Uh, and, and then there's also the element of being really good at exercising, like being a fitness person that, you know, I have some genetics thanks to my parents and was able to kind of make good on uh, from my road, call it career. Um, and so all of those combined made the actual physical racing part really intriguing to me. And kind of in the same way that I started mountain biking, like I did some cyclocross, I did really well. So you want to keep, you know, it's a, it's a positive feedback loop of like, yeah, I really like this. I do pretty good at it, so I'm going to try to do better at it so that I, you know, keep getting these awards or these prizes or, you know, things like this. Um, another thing that really drew me to cyclocross uh, is that for the – your result, more or less, your result is more indicative of how good you are. Um, in road cycling – you could finish 80th place, but almost win. It's just tactics. Uh, you could, yeah, you could you could be winning all the way up until 1K to go, and then the results sheet says 50th, and like, how do you, you know, it's hard to contextualize that to someone who doesn't ride bikes, or, or a potential sponsor, mm -hmm. or your partner who you're just trying to be like, no, I actually had a really good race, but you got 50th. Um, and at the point in my life where I did make the switch, I was, I was kind of at like a, I either need to stop riding and get a job because it's not like, it's not working, uh, or really 
get some results that are that's going to get you noticed to be able to get sponsorship to to kind of keep this this dream alive. Um, and so just purely from like effort effort in to result out, uh, cyclocross made made more sense to me. Um, there's also the element of uh, now that I do have a job, it's only an hour effort, so I don't need to train 25 hours a week like I used to. Um, you can kind of get it done more or less with like 10 to 15 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that helps too. Um, and then, yeah, it's the, the fun puzzle piece of like dissecting a course and where are you finding, finding speed? Where are you able to, to go a few seconds faster than someone else? Um, and, and then beyond that, it's the community. It's all really good people. I haven't, there's, there's very few jerks, uh, or bad people in cyclocross. Um, so yeah, I think plenty of reasons. <laughs> it's not just one. <laughs> That's great. Let me go a bit more into this thing and then we're going to also move in the community one second. Um, talking about cyclocross as a sport, would you define yeah. cyclocross as a sport a bit more as an individual sport than road cycling? Or also you think that the team kind of effort and team tactics and whatever has something to say into the cyclocross? Um, I think like if, a hun- if, if we take like 100% of the sport of cyclocross, maybe like 0.025% of any result comes down to any team tactics at yeah. all. And yeah. it's only at the the very very high end granular, like, I think in the U.S. there might be two teams that could do any sort of tactics, and in in Europe, it was like uh, maybe three teams that could employ any tactics. Yeah. And so, from one element, like, it's it's also different than road cycling tactics, where like you have someone in cross who goes off the front, and then your job if you're on the team is to go slow yeah. and like kind of yeah. mess people up. Um, but all of that said, uh, there is definitely a team element when you have, you know, your mechanic or you have your swanier or you have even just people that you're traveling with who might not be on your team. Um, but it's a team effort to get, you know, to get to the race, to, to get through a weekend successfully um, especially if it's like a muddy race where yeah you're relying on a team to get you a clean bike every lap or every half mm. lap or or making the strategy of when you're going to pit versus when you're not going to pit or um, making sure someone's at the start line to get your jacket. Uh, it's, it's definitely, it takes a team to do it, uh, to do it well. There's, in the really muddy days, um, the people with a big team and a big support structure, even if it's just one person, can can use their their network to to have a significant advantage over someone who doesn't. And I've seen that I've seen that pretty consistently, like both coming up and and I have one bike in the pit and no one standing in the pit, and I have you know I ride my bike for thirty minutes until it doesn't work anymore, and then I get you know, get on my second bike and hope it survives. Uh, meanwhile, my competitors are taking, they have three bikes total and they're taking a bike every half lap 
and it's just a completely different sport. Like they're not after the pre-ride, they're sitting in their camper or their trailer uh, taking a shower while their mechanic washes their bikes. And I was out of the back of my Ford Ranger truck trying to wash my bike down, shivering in the, in the cold. And so there's definitely an element of team that um, if you want to re- either reduce stress or, or if the conditions are, are bad, that can, yeah, it's a team sport for sure. That's great. And actually, this means that usually you're riding, by, you're racing by yourself. So you don't have yeah. really, okay, okay, that makes sense. And I think that actually this difference is pretty visible. I would not say in Europe, but I would say in uh, Belgium and maybe some part of the Netherlands, because there really the sport is so big. I mean, I've been in a couple of races. I was actually here, the World Championship here in Switzerland, I mean, 2020. And the thing that you mm-hmm. can see a lot is that basically these swingers that you are talking about or mechanics, these are really part of the family figuratively or physically i remember that i was actually talking with this guy and he was basically uh, the father father-in-law let's say still the father of the girlfriend of the racer being there taking care of the bike taking care of washing the bike and same thing i saw moms being there for their under 23 or juniors uh racers and everything like that because there's this is something really popular and so really there is all the family coming and supporting you because they can see it as a huge achievement already going out and making a race of the I would not say the super prestige I would say even the X20 one of those major uh, kind of tournament and uh, that's super great that's uh, that's really really nice um, second topic that I want to touch base quite quickly here also talking about uh, cyclocross and road little differences training you're ready slightly and touch based on that saying that now you can train i would say 50 percent less i would say mm-hmm. than uh, riding on the road but how does it work usually you have also punchy and really kind of yes punchy and sleek and uh, sharp training or you also need few hours on the bike in order then to perform good during the winter yeah um it even in the past few years, I, I, I changed coaches, um, and uh, and so even more punchy compared to what I was used to. I kind of took my my road training and adapted it just a little bit, and kind of used racing to get that punch. But um, in the past few years, I've really uh, leaned into, I guess, I'll, uh, in road cycling, you have one or two big matches, and you try to to be very fit so that you don't have to, to use any of those matches until it's really time. Um, and what's changed is I tried to make my matchbook have 30 matches. And so it's like, Whoa. okay, let's go. I'll, I'll light one up, burn it bright, and then be like, all right, I got another one. Like, like let, I'll, I can do this all day. Um, and so that's been a nice... It's, it's, it's kind of a challenging change because you do have to stay uh, pretty fresh so you can't do the huge volume um, because when you do go out and train, you need to really be able to put out those numbers. Um, and so there's, there's an element of, of training where you feel tired and satisfied and like fatigued and you're like, man, I really feel like I put a lot of work in because I'm you know, really tired. You don't get that quite as much. Um, but at the same note, when you do go out and do the trainings, you're 
you're, you know, you have the burning in your throat and you have to really, really, uh, hurt yourself, uh, to, to get those, you know, to, to build that, that matchbook. Um, that said, I'm in, in my off season and I'm enjoying going out and doing longer rides for enjoyment. Like it's only going to help kind of lay a foundation, but, um, during the season, the longest ride that I would do is three hours uh, with no efforts, which I guess in the context of my world, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to say a three hour ride is nothing. Uh, but in the context of like my peers, it's, it's pretty short. Mm-hmm. Um, my average, my average ride is like an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, and it gets the job done. Cause our, I mean, our race is only an hour. Um, I think, after my experience in in Europe and Belgium, um, my training is going to change a bit because uh, the U.S. racing is just different than what what the sport of cyclocross is in Europe. But for the most part, it's yeah, building building a big matchbook and um, just trying to be big and strong and robust and uh, a lot of high intensity, a lot of time spent. Um, a lot of time spent over 500 watts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, it makes a lot of sense. So also here, you mentioned it, being in Europe. You were in Europe between uh, the end of the year, I mean, at the end of 2022, so basically in the best period of cyclocross, between Christmas and New Eve. I think this is the best for all of us that are following uh, the races and uh, also for you people riding. You were here in Europe and basically you had the opportunity of doing it, and you were also here to advocate for an amazing cause. And actually your project is called the Small Monsters Project. Let's go into that so we can tell a good chunk of your stories. Tell us more about the, uh, the Small Monsters Project. Yeah. Yes. So in, in 2016, um, I had a, a bad cycling accident and uh, I had a, I mean... It basically gave me a traumatic brain injury. Um, there are plenty of places on the internet where you can find out more about that recovery process. But in that, um, and when I was able to get back on the bike after more or less two years, uh, I really wanted to kind of make a difference and give back to the community that that helped support me when I, I couldn't work, I couldn't ride, I, I was really trying to learn how to be a human again. Um, and so I created the Small Monsters Project, and its mission is to destigmatize mental health issues, which I struggled with in my recovery, and also give uh, resources and education around traumatic brain injury, um, specifically in, in cycling and sports. But you know, it, it, there's definitely a broad, uh, broad reach there. Um, it's been something that I kind of did on the side. Uh, and I'm really excited that recently it's be- I've created it as a nonprofit and I'm going to be really leaning into it more. So I'm looking for donors and partners and, and, uh, and people who want to, yeah, to, to try to make this thing something that, um, is going to be longer lasting and, uh, and really have an impact in the world. Um, and so working through the details now, but I'll be, I'll be training and racing and, and working, uh, working to build a small monsters project as as an outreach and advocacy and and granting entity, um, yeah, to kind of give back to 
uh, either the mental health community or the traumatic brain injury community. That's perfect. Okay. So actually, let's talk a little bit about that. So you said that in 2016, you got this accident. Mm -hmm. We can talk a little about that, but probably people out there, if you want to know all the story amazingly done by the people from the Cycling Podcast, you were just publishing uh, a piece of podcast with them, with the Explorer. Uh, I think it went live a couple of weeks ago. There, there is all the story. And thanks a lot for all the talks and all the words and all the story that you put out there because it's really a huge of awareness. Uh, you talked a lot about as well, uh, actually, the crash that you had, the mechanic of the crash, how it was, and all the consequences and the symptoms. I think it's super good, especially for the awareness that you were talking about. But yeah, I mean, you got this injury. And then from there, basically, all the word that you were used to live fell apart. Right. And uh, yes. tell me more about that. Yes. Um, what I thought was going to be a, a quick, you know, few days off the bike uh, turned into be uh, over a year and a half before I was able to start riding um, consistently or even racing. And, you know, there's there's definitely a, a theme in sports where it's like and he got back to, you know, to the top end and his life would like, and that was the finish line. Um, I had to, I had to learn how to be a human to exist in the world again. Like I couldn't, in the beginning, I, I struggled to even remember how to make coffee or, <laughs> or to be able to make, you know, make my breakfast. I'd have to rest for two hours in a dark room after making breakfast to have enough mental and, and physical energy to, to make lunch. Um, a 15 minute conversation with a friend would, would wreck me for, for a whole day. Um, and, and so, uh, it's, you know, my recovery story is really, uh, it's nuanced and it's easy to look at it and be like, Oh, well you're riding again. And that's, that's, is that, is that the moment when you felt like you got your life back? And, um, really the, the, the whole, experience taught me about slowing down, about appreciating the little things and gave me a, a big perspective on, um, that I can kind of like lean back on if, you know, work is hard or I have an annoying customer or I have bad legs and I didn't do as well in a race as I wanted to. It's like, well, there was also a time, a time when you couldn't have a conversation with a friend or loved one because looking at a screen like we're doing right now mm -hmm. would would make you too symptomatic. Um, and so uh, kind of condensing it down for the first four months, I kind of existed in in a dark room um, where there was low sensory input. I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't watch TV or look at a screen. I kind of relied on audiobooks and podcasts and kind of just like waited waited for my brain to heal and there was nothing to do but nothing mm. um and then was able to slowly start working my way out outdoors so hiking being in being in nature was really therapeutic and healing and had a lot less stimuli around it um and then uh from there started um started being able to interact with more friends um nine months in I started uh, volunteering at a coffee company, just putting stickers on bags, uh, just to like, 
all right, now I need to show up at a place at a certain time and do some work. Can I handle that? And slowly built up to the point where I was able to, to be a part of the coffee roasting uh, process and quality control. Um, and then eventually was able to work my way into uh, working at a grocery store and, and, and kind of that was, that was a big moment um, around a year and a half in where it was like the grocery store was the hardest place for me to exist when I was really in it. Uh, and now I work at one nice. um, and it's, it's not glamorous. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not like super sexy to work at a grocery store, but it was, I mean, as a, a ex, ex quote unquote pro bike rider without a, who didn't finish his college degree, it was, it was kind of like, you know, that's, that's where I ended up and really kind of dove in and, um, was able to support myself because, you know, in cycling, it was like trying to, uh, use the help of others to, to help me with my, my dream. Um, and then after my accident, uh, when I couldn't work, it was a GoFundMe that people supported me with. And so it was really gratifying to be able to like pay rent on my own. Um, and, and have a, a healthy social life with friends and, and do things for fun, like go roller skate or go rock climb or go see a movie um, instead of being so focused on training or racing or um, any of those things. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. I was saying, I mean, at a certain point, really, you have just uh, for something that you think, okay, it's going to be a few days off the bike, or maybe just I'm going to ride the bike tomorrow. It's just a little crush, to something that really changed your life for um, for two years. But something that um, I actually was listening and I was also checking around and seeing on uh, all the um, the interviews and also your your speeches that you are giving around. That this is something really a bit of a highlight that you are putting on what's going on. It's it was that actually at a certain point you were um, I mean this brain injury really um, meant for you also dealing with that part of mental that the mental health that could be uh, frustration or also depression because I mean your brain was not functioning correctly and uh, what was it I mean how actually there were this um, this kind of effects from that brain injury also to your uh, feeling and status not only actually things that you could and could not do you were saying making breakfast or whatever but also your feelings and behavior and kind of mood I would say uh, just to be yeah. super simplistic Yeah um I mean uh my the actual there, there's a few things that changed. Uh, I went from like getting a, a, a significant amount of brain chemicals from exercising 25 hours a week um, to nothing. Mm. So there's the chemical changes that happened even in the first like two weeks while that normalized. Um, my brain physically changed. Like it's like if you hit your leg really hard and it bruises, like your leg is is damaged and physically changed. So the actual um, the actual brain, uh, my brain changed. And so the way that it processed information and dealt with things completely changed. Um, and then there was also an element of like, man, I had a really good thing going and now I don't, mm. uh, I used to, I used to be able to do this and now I can't. Um, that is really a bummer. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I, I had struggled with, um, 
some anxiety and depression before. Um, and not to like minimize, you know, what I was going through or what anyone else goes through, but I, it really felt like I was dabbling in it. Uh, and then I had my brain injury and then it just turned it up to like 11. So deep, deep depression. Um, and you know, it kind of feels valid. Like if your whole life gets turned upside down and you can't operate as a human and all you can do is nothing, Mm. um, being a highly, highly motivated human being to, to not be able to, to like to fix anything. Um, and then there was also with my symptoms, um, a lot of anxiety that came up because I couldn't keep up with the world around me when I was in the world. Um, I had a lot of auditory, uh, struggles with auditory stimulation. So if I was in a restaurant, um, and there were friends and I had to make decisions about what I was going to eat. Um, and like the door was opening and the music was playing. I, I couldn't filter out those, uh, mm-hmm. those sounds and it was, and and the brain just kind of like would go into shutdown mode where it's like, yep, we can't keep up. So we're going to shut you down. Um, uh, and so all of those things combined, uh, really, you know, um, made some, some big monsters in the closet that I had to deal with. And so you're looking for control in your life. You're looking for things that you can, um, you can kind of like tie down, any sense of normalcy or yeah, like give yourself control. And so, uh, so yeah, one of the monsters that I had was, was, uh, came out in an eating disorder cause I was looking for, you know, I didn't want to gain a ton of weight cause I was a cyclist and I needed to be able to get back on the bike really quick. And, um, and that really spiraled out of control and, and became, became the big monster that I had to, to kind of address. Um, and is one of the many, many small monsters that I, that I talk about and live with and, and have on my, on my kit. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's great. I mean, that's great. I mean, it's, uh, it's completely, it's something that is not completely understandable, but it's super cool that somebody can talk about that because for sure, I mean, uh, people that actually are out there, then maybe they're struggling with the same thing with or without crashes and with or without any, uh, kind of, uh, tragic event that changed their mind at least they can see that actually all these factors are there around and as you are saying taking them as small monsters and uh, trying to confront them one by one then getting out of it it's is getting a bit better um yeah and and so like you know uh the the quick and easy line is like if you if you don't address your mental health struggles it's a big scary monster in the closet mm. um it's only going to be there and be unmanageable and uh, make life really hard for you. Um, but if you're able to, to work with loved ones and professionals to, to start addressing those big, scary monsters in the closet, um, they get smaller. I, I don't think there's, with mental health, um, that you ever get rid of the monster. It never goes away. Um, but you just kind of learn to live with it. Mm. So it's uh, the, the destigmatization, destigmatization comes from, uh, yeah, wearing it on my sleeve. Literally, I, I wear it on my sleeve. Uh, and so it's not as big and scary. It's just like, yeah, it's just as if you had a limp. Yeah, I walk with a limp, but I can still get through, through life because I know how to address this limp and, you know, uh, it, it makes it less 
big and scary. And so when it comes to like, if you're having a rough day or a rough week, it's not um, the barrier to, to, I guess not fixing it, but the barrier to addressing it is much lower because it's right there. Crazy. Yes, yes. Maybe uh, if I might ask you these super direct questions, what little monsters are on your jersey then? What are you addressing every day or every time that you're riding the bike? Are you showing to people that you can address them by putting them on your jersey? Yeah, um, the one, uh, I have one that's on my, uh, on my right, right shoulder. It's the monster with a little, he has a little head bandage. Um, I mean, for you, he's... Oh. Oh, that guy nice. right there. <laughs> okay. It's nice. uh, I really committed to living with my small monsters and got a tattoo of one of them. Yeah. Um, you have only that one then, or you have more of those tattoos? Uh, for now, just that one. Okay. Okay. He's, he, he's, he's like, when I, when my, my friend uh, Alex Carlson did the monster design. And so I was like, can you make one? And I had a little bit more of a, a say in that one. Um. But yeah, uh, the other monsters um, that I try to represent that I either relate to or other people, uh, depression, anxiety. Um, there's a lot of stuff around uh, in the world around, um, you know, gender and gender identity. I'm sorry. That's, that's like that it's all you know it's all it's all related right if you're not able to live in the way that you truly want to live then depression comes anxiety comes um uh addiction is also one of the monsters that that is represented um food and eating disorders is also represented um and the the monsters were designed in a way that you know, you can, if it helps you kind of pull it out of, of, you know, the pull it out of, you know, from behind you and put it in front of you, you can attach your own meaning to it. Mm -hmm. So they have, you know, they have their own little personalities. And, and so, uh, it was very, um, yeah, they were designed in such a way that no matter what monster you're struggling with, You, there's probably one that has a little bit of something that you can kind of like tie identity to and bring it out of yourself and kind of even put it on something else to make it less, you know, less scary or easier to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, I really like this concept. And it's good, actually, that we're talking about that because I didn't know about that. But it's, it's not only your personal monsters. And that's why, actually, probably you're doing these uh, tiny little small monsters as well. Something like putting a face on them or at least a shape of it is because, actually, these are society monsters. You were talking about um, gender representation or, in general, I would say, um, inclusion and uh, inclusion problems and everything. And these are really things that we don't have to fight by ourselves. I think that any, actually none of these monsters can be fought by yourself but you always need some help and support but at least by representing it out there some of the list of those ones that makes you anxious or depressed or everything, they're really out there we need actually to address them all together as a society to, to pull them out uh, from the jerseys hopefully at a certain point yeah definitely and so Um, every year we, with or not, we, we do a or not supporter jersey. And so you can, you can wear your, you know, wear your small monsters 
on your sleeve as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so that's that's something that um, has gotten a lot of really good feedback, and and raised a lot of money for uh, for charitable causes. Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, that's super nice. I would love actually to uh, to talk about that now in one second. But before that, we we're talking about uh, addressing these monsters together. Who supported you in this phase of you getting back on? Uh, I would say normal life or at least addressing these monsters a bit better and now I mean we're going to talk also about that now you are also still racing cyclocross at a world pro world level apart from winning a lot of chickens actually two already I mean now mm-hmm. you are at just as, to in a, this year already to this, of course as I, as I mean wow I have plenty of plenty of chickens on the palmares from last year that's great <laughs> no but yeah I mean now you're actually in a bit more of a normal life than before you're in a better place than uh, in 2016 but who mm-hmm. was coming in your support what support did you find on uh, on that process yeah um there was a really, really amazing community in uh, in and around Northampton, Massachusetts, where I had just I had just moved earlier uh, in that summer um, because there was a really strong cyclocross community. Um, uh, multi-time national champion Jeremy Powers lived there. Multi-time national champion Stephen Hyde lived there. Um, and instead of driving eight hours to race those guys, I wanted to be able to go train with them. Um, so I had kind of just moved to the area and then had my accident. And so I really didn't have a huge uh, social network when I got hurt. And then I was stuck. Um, so there were some people in who, who raced. They weren't necessarily like, quote, bike racers um, that really reached out and were like, man, this could have happened to any one of us. So we're going we're gonna to lean in and we're going to help this guy. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, there was a core group of five families that would help drive me to my appointments, um, sometimes two hours at a time. There was a sign-up list to just come and sit with me for 15 minutes wow. at a time, um, just so I could like get a hug, you know, like just a simple, simple human interaction. Um, and... There was like a standing, like as I progressed, you know, there's a standing dinner uh, with the Simkowitzes and and there was, uh, now I I still interact with uh, Meg and JD Billadu like as much as I can. And um, when I was doing my New England block, I stayed with the Morins who brought me to, you know, Boston a few times for appointments. And, And these are people who who were invested in Ben the human, not Ben the bike racer. Because uh, at the end of the day, they're like, they they had jobs, they had lives. Uh, it wasn't mm-hmm. about bike racing. Um, and so it was a really good, uh, really good learning experience for me to be around uh, <laughs> more or less fully formed adults uh, to, to kind of like learn how to, yeah, to, to, to exist in the world, uh, to have a job, to, to invest in your friends, um, and so, you know, as part of, uh, part of that recovery process was them driving me to, to a therapist who mm-hmm. is, who is, who specialized in, um, in brain injuries, uh, who could like really talk about the specific struggles that I was having. Um, they, when I had to go to eating disorder treatment, like they would, they would drive two hours to come, come see me at Walden behavioral care. 
um, the end, you know, even, even, even now, uh, my buddy Cole will give me a hug and be like, man, you you feel healthy. You look good. And it's, it's said with a knowing of when I didn't look good and I wasn't healthy and I was struggling and, you know, his, his end and some other friends ability to kind of call me, call me on my shit when I was really struggling with it. Um, yeah, they're still able to, they still, they still care. Like even, even though I had just gotten, you know, fifth at single speed nationals or eighth at elite nationals, um, Cole was just concerned about like how I was like, how, how are you like, you're doing good. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, it's really, really this family that was built in, in new England, um, that was hands on, uh, hands on with me when, when stuff was bad. What about now, Ben? How do you feel? How are you doing? And how is life and how is cycling? Oh, it's, it's, it's good. Um, I mean, sometimes, uh, having like trying to force perspective can be a double-edged sword. Like if life, if, you know, if you have this cool job and you have these awesome partners and you're able to, you know, have the chance to ride a bike as much as you can, then you shouldn't be sad or you shouldn't be struggling with whatever. So trying to sometimes forcing that perspective can be a little like, but why, why, why am I sad? Um, that can be a little challenging, but you know, being able to zoom out and be really objective, like life's really good. I have a, I have a chance to, to use this thing that makes me happy, which is riding my bike, um, to really make an impact in people's lives. And I don't take that for granted at all. Um, it's, you know, it, it sounds stereotypical to be like, if, you know, if one person messages me and says, you made a difference in, in how I go about life or because I saw your Jersey or heard your podcast on the broom wagon. And that gave me the, you know, that, that nudge to get help or my friend is struggling with a traumatic brain injury and I didn't know how to help. And now I know where to, to point for resources. Like if one person does that, like, you know, that, that makes, that makes it worth it. Like right now my schedule is I wake up at 6am and I work for, you know, two hours on my nonprofit before I do my training ride, uh, before I go to work for 40 hours a week and then also try to be a good partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you, we, we spoke before, like, yeah. you know, the struggle. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I very much acknowledge the privilege, um, that I'm able to live in while also honoring how, how much work it took to get here. Um, it was, it was a struggle for more or less three years to be able to like, to know what I'm working with, to fully acknowledge my monsters, to know how to address them when they come up, to have a support network in place, to, you know, uh, yeah, to, to know how to exist as an adult in society when I was just being a bike racer for five years and that was my identity. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, life's, life's good. 
That's nice. If I can actually put uh, for one second my two cents on that, and that's something mm. that I really encourage uh, encourage people to do pretty often is this feedback that you were talking about, these little messages that you were talking about. Maybe is not the let's say is not the most common thing or is not the most visible thing that you think about doing every time, but it's so important to do it and to receive it. And uh, mm. that's something that I put as a rule for myself. Every time that you read an article uh, or every time that you listen to a podcast, every time that you see an Instagram story, because anyways, we are really, really, we, we have a lot of uh, kind of messages and a lot of kind of media and content that we are, is really catching with us pretty quick. But as soon as you get something that you say, woof, this was good, woof, this was helpful, take your time to do it. I mean, to see and acknowledge how helpful it was and take your time also to send a little message. Maybe you will never receive a message from the other side. But I would actually probably be sure that most of the time, if people like you are doing what they are doing, so really supporting a cause that they care of because uh, it's they know that it's needed and trying to support people, they would for sure take the time to read that message, to be happy because they received this message and also to send out a couple of lines by saying... Thank you. I'm happy that I made a bit, a tiny bit of the difference for you. So that's the little two cents that I give to everybody all the time. And I actually put it as a rule for myself every time that something like this happens. Stefano, stop for one second. Take your time and send out that message because it's going to be super important for the person that is going to be on the other side. Definitely. Sometimes it can feel like I'm just shouting out into the void <clears throat> um, and and getting those messages or or finding support or... You know, like I, I read everyone and I respond to everyone and it just, you know, it stokes the fire. It's like, yeah, yep, cool. This is, you know, I'm not, I'm not changing the world. I'm not going to make a million dollars. Like this isn't, you know, it's end of the day. It's like I'm pedaling a bike in circles and trying to talk about my story and hopefully people resonate with it and, uh, and are able to, you know, learn something and, and maybe have have a better experience in their life. Um, and it, it is not to oversimplify it, but it's like I wear stretchy clothes and I pedal around in circles. I'm a bike rider. Um, <laughs> and so to, so to hear that this thing that maybe isn't my default of, uh, of talking about myself or, or fundraising or marketing that comes with what you have to do to tell a story, um, to, so to hear that that is actually working goes such a long way. Now let's move to Europe. Tell me about mm. two things. Your experience in Europe, how was it? And mm -hmm. What do you experience? What's the highlights there? How did you feel there? And also if you actually felt how much you felt that the story was actually heard by your story was heard by the people in, in Europe. And actually third thing, do you think are going to come as well next year or this mm. year? I mean, later this year. The, yeah, I'll answer the third thing first, which is absolutely. Yeah. If I can, if I can make it happen, uh, that is, that is the plan. I had such a good time and, um, by no means am I like done in the sport, uh, even if I wasn't going to Europe, but nothing has like from strictly an athlete perspective, Like I'd love to try to do better than I did last year because it's a different, it's a different sport. It's a different way of, of 
having fitness. It's a different way of driving the bike. And I, and I just am so excited to try to figure it out. Um, so just purely for like riding a bike in circles, like, yes, I want to go back. Awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the trip was my first time ever leaving the country. Well, I guess going overseas. I've been to Canada a few times, but, um, but going overseas was something that I hadn't been able to do. Uh, I was, I was a bike racer trying to do it. Uh, and then I was brain injured. So, um, it wasn't something that I had been able to do. And so when the opportunity came up and I was able to get some support from the, the Flandrian hotel, which offers, you know, some subsidies for international riders to come over. Um, I knew it was something that like, uh, you know, trip of a lifetime. Like I was willing to kind of go into debt to, to try to do it. Cause it's not my, I'm 33. I'm not old, but in the sport, uh, and in my phase of my life, like <laughs> the, 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 the amount of times that I can justify the, both the financial investment and the physical and time investment. Um, I don't know how many times I'm going to be able to do it. So to be able to even do it once was like insane. Um, and so there's three ways that I really enjoyed the trip. One was just purely being in West Flanders, uh, where, you know, I, I watched so many pirated feeds of either the classics or cyclocross races that were in Flemish, uh, or Dutch and to be in that world and read the signs and be able to go, I know how to pronounce that. I don't know what it means, but I know how to pronounce it or, <laughs> yeah. Uh, or hear, you know, hear, hear, hear everyone talk in a language that like lit up my brain, uh, was really, really cool. Um, to, you know, on a, on a 45 minute ride, go up the Benendries and the Valkenberg, mm-hmm. like what, like the, these yeah. iconic climbs that just were like, see Wout written on the road, like from a, from a pure tourist cycling fan, the trip was worth it. Um, at that hotel, there was also nine different nationalities that mm-hmm. were there. And um, just the cultural exchange was was so fulfilling. Like, people who drove from Scotland, not expats who, you know, lived here, or, or like a TV representation of a Scottish person. Um, we had one of the first uh, pro-Israeli women riders staying at that hotel. So it's really interesting to to have that cultural exchange and people from Australia and New Zealand and Ireland and uh, in America all under the same roof. Not that we were going to win any of these races, but we just wanted to to just try um, and be supported in that environment was was incredible. Um, so even just that made the trip worth it. Yeah, uh, and then you get to do the races. You get to do the races that you've watched for 10 years. And, uh, and now, now I can go back and watch Degum and be like, Oh yeah, that innocuous part. That's actually really hard. Or like, I remember, you know, that's a thing that I did. Um, and I'll forever have that of like, you know, when I did loan how, when I did ball, oh yeah, that thing that looks really hard, turns out it's really hard, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and just to experience, like, I know, in, in America, we, we really, uh, 
wax poetic about the romanticism of racing in Europe and to be able to like go over there and do it. Uh, it holds up. It's cool. 20,000 people at these races. Like, are you kidding? Like, yeah. Uh, the, the fact that we didn't have, I didn't have to pay a dime to race. Like I was part of what people paid to do as opposed to me paying to race, which is the only way these races would happen is by the support of the bike racers um, to be in a, in a situation where it was like, no, you know, next year I'm going to be potentially able to have start contracts where uh, I get paid to show up because I add value to the race, you know? Yeah. Um, so that part, that part was really cool. Uh, and I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to do it in a way where my only goal was to maybe finish on the lead lap, but otherwise it was just to go with eyes open and be a tourist who actually gets to like do the thing. Um, and so, yeah, I trained my butt off and yeah, I raced as hard as I possibly could. Um, but whether I finished, you know, one, two or three laps down at the end of the day, it really didn't matter because just lining up and everything that led up to that was already like a huge success. Um, and that's not even in the context of like, yeah, I couldn't make coffee for a while. You know, I had a brain injury. Like it's, it's not even related to that. It's just like someone who's been in the sport for 10 years who, who was on the cusp of, of being able to do it for his job to be able to like play at being a pro, uh, was, it was really cool. Um, and so, so yeah. It, uh, and then you you also asked if if I, I felt there was impact with yes if the small, small monsters. monsters were actually heard over there um, over here I'm I don't know I'm curious uh, the I mean the main thing that I got known for was the taking flip a jump in, right the flip jump in in Cockside <laughs> and you know if one of the 15,000 people that liked that post, like if one of them like clicked on me and kind of saw what I was about, then like, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was definitely some, uh, some impact there, but, uh, I'm hoping that the, the investment that I made both from, uh, giving the people a show, like even before the flip, I was trying to engage with the crowd and get people excited and, um, you know, just try to be, a be part of the entertainment that is you like I'm not well I'm not Matthew like I'm not Lauren Swick I'm not even you know a t top 20 rider uh, and so to give you know still give people an experience uh, is important to me because that's ultimately what cyclists do is try to entertain at over there um, so I guess I would love to have impact there the that's not I don't think where I, I'd love to be proven wrong but like that's not necessarily the reason for going it is a little bit self-serving it is a little bit of of part of the entertainment of being a pro cyclist and having having a like a following that wants to like keep up with what you're doing um, but yeah if there's if if there is an opportunity for conversation about mental health about traumatic brain injury um that would be huge it's a lot of it is like man i dropped i dropped in for two weeks 
I don't know who to talk to. I don't know mm-hmm. if I don't know the the necessarily the the landscape around mental health in Belgium or uh, or around traumatic brain injuries in Belgium. I just it it's just not not something that I'm familiar with. So mm-hmm. so to answer your question, I don't know. I'd love to I'd love to think that it had an impact. Um, uh, but even if the impact is like, hey man, it's really fun to see you riding on a steel bike or a single speed here, or hey, it was really fun that you got you, that you gave us high fives on the start line. Like that's cool. I'll take that. I can tell you that probably the reason why we are talking here today it was because of your. I don't know. I mean, really, because I don't remember, because actually my brain is uh, a bit, I mean, all over the place, uh, for sure, my thoughts. But for sure, your trip to Europe was the re- is the reason why we are talking here today. That's okay, cool. for sure. Because I actually saw some posts around your Instagram account shot started showing up to mine because you were coming to Europe. And then mm. when I saw actually also that flip jump, I said, I know this guy. I watched already some videos of him before, and then I put the two things together, and then that's why we are here talking. So for sure, in terms cool. of uh, my two cents, and also in terms of exposure, like me, also other people started seeing you, and also probably, hopefully, got interested in your story there. So, and so this is this is what we were talking about earlier about you making sure that you're acknowledging, yeah, taking absolutely. a moment, <laughs> and then for me. To all the listeners out there, it's like, oh, cool. That's even more that that lights me up even more to try to to do it next year and do it better. Yes, yes, yes. Please do it. Please do you, it. You saw it in real time, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens. I mean, it really happens. What's next, then? My last question is, what's next, man? I mean, you were saying that Small Monsters is becoming a nonprofit, so you're working on it. You're trying to maybe another step forward actually further on this adventure than uh, what else and another question as well because you liked it actually i mean i think you're noticing that i like to make questions in pairs or in triplets mm-hmm. so let's keep on with that and because that's something that i'm doing with the broom wagon, wagon uh, the broom wagon podcast this year and the last years i had some ngos that i was actually in charities that i was actually trying to let people on knowledge was sea watch uh, for two years in a row last year mm-hmm. uh, was the um bike geese so sea watch is basically the ngo who is saving um immigrants or better refugees in central mediterranean and bike geese is this charity in berlin who teaches uh, refugee women to ride a bike as a political mm. statement because in Afghanistan you are not allowed to ride a bike if you're a woman and also because mm. in a city like Berlin if you ride a bike you can unlock a lot of places in the world and people mm-hmm. stay tuned because an amazing charity project is coming with bike is in uh, in the loop let's say and we I am trying also this year to let's say, uh, make a, a knowledge and make people know about new charities and new non-profit in any episode. So is there mm-hmm. any way now in the future that we can support small monsters or maybe that we can buy one of the jerseys that you were talking about? Sure. Um, so I'll start with what's next. Um, I think from from an athlete point of view, I'm... I'm gonna try to enjoy my summer and be uh kind of try try a little bit of everything um i don't want to be too specialized so i'm doing a gravel race tomorrow um i'm gonna be uh gonna be doing a 
some some track sessions. I've never ridden the track. I'm really curious about the track. Um, I'm gonna do some mountain bike racing. I'm just kind of like gonna do anything that kind of suits my fancy uh, as under the whole guise of like I'm an, a cyclocross athlete in off season. So I'm not gonna like you know all of a sudden start doing 30 hour weeks to try to be competitive at the unbound gravel 200 mm. like it's still going to be within within the the same family as cyclocross um so that's what i'm doing as an athlete uh i, I really want to show up and and put on some performances um in the kit to kind of like continue to add credibility uh but ultimately it's all to try to be as ready and fit as i can for uh the cyclocross season coming up um and from a personal point of view, I'm, I'm really, I really want to try to make Small Monsters Project a, a thing that both has an impact in the world, um, that gives supporters, either donors or, or partners in, in the mental health in, uh, industry or the cycling industry, like a, a megaphone to, to partner with someone who's trying to do what I'm doing, um, and, you know, a little self-serving is to try to, if I, if I'm able to work more as, uh, how, how do I put it? I guess you, you know that if you, if you were able to be financially compensated for the broom wagon, mm-hmm. you'd be able to put more time into it. Yeah to then have a bigger voice, to have a better product, to then be able to have more impact. Um, and obviously getting paid to do that helps with the reality of the world we live in, which is you got to support yourself. <laughs> um, and so uh, there's definitely an element of like, if I'm able to find partners who are willing to help me with the Small Monsters Project message, um, I'll be able to start running the nonprofit in a more part-time, even full-time capacity, which will only allow me to, to do more work, to, to have a better return on investment, to, to, uh, to, to race a bike better so mm-hmm. that I can lean into to what I do really, really well and, and continue to tell a fun story and have these adventures and, and race at a really high level. Um, and so, yeah, the next few months I'm really, you know, really diving into to talking to as many people as I can. At the end of the day, I'm a bike racer. Yeah. Uh, uh, who's who doesn't know? Like, I like to say I don't know what I don't know. Uh, so if there's any listeners out there who are interested in, uh, who have either experience in the nonprofit space or uh, are managing a, a grant or endowment that they need a place to put it or anything like that, like I'm definitely open to either learning what their experience is or, or having a conversation about, you know, partnering with small monsters project. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so hopefully in the cyclocross season, I'm able to, to be, you know, full-time, full-time advocate and, and bike racer. Um, you know, last, last year or in the past two years, I've been able to raise Mm $50,000 for love your brain. Um, I'd love to, to double, triple that. Um, and so ways that, that the individual can be involved where every year we've done a, 
a supporter jersey, so it'll be the same jersey that I race in. So you can wear your small monsters jersey. So we'll we'll kind of announce that uh, through or not. Um, my partners uh, at Richie Logic, and then and then the trickle down of you know Shram and Hammerhead and uh, Challenge, and you know those types of people. Well, we do a raffle every year, mm-hmm. so that way that you know. For a for a donation which goes directly to a great cause, you're able to potentially get the same frame that I ride or a set of wheels that I you know that I also use for my success. Um, so keep an eye out on that, and uh, and I'm gonna try to show up at as to as many events as I can um, to try to meet people to just like you know hear your story, you know to to maybe give you a little bit of nugget of knowledge of either how to do the race better or how to, uh, how to roller skate better or like anything. Uh, I'm really, I love meeting people and, and I'm going to try to be at as many events as I can for that. Um, and so, um, the, the pitch is go to the small monsters project.com. That's where, that's where you can find everything or you can, uh, find me on Instagram at Ben jam Fred and, um, those are the best places to kind of get a hold of me and start a conversation and yeah yeah so that's that's kind of what's next for me that's great I mean all these links and I don't know handles of Instagram and everything are going to be down in the description now the last thing do you want to add anything this show as it was until now it's yours again if you have to say anything oh uh, this has been such a good uh a good time. It's a, it's been a great conversation and I've listened to some of your back catalog and I love the work that you do. Uh, Thank and you. just the, the, the style and, and free form chat was really, really fun. Um, and if you're still listening, man, thanks. Thanks. It's just little old me talking about my little story. So, uh, it's appreciated that, that you're still here and you're still listening. Thanks. Thanks a lot, really, Ben. It was super enriching. A really great conversation and thanks a lot actually first of all for being here in the broom wagon on the broom wagon talking about your story and also for keep on telling your story and really getting a bit more awareness on what's out there and advocating for an amazing cause like mental health and brain injuries thank you so much and it was great great time talking to you <laughs> thanks a lot uh we are gonna probably meet here in europe in a few months so talk soon <laughs> see ya yeah see you soon And thanks a lot, Ben, to be on the broom wagon for... And talking about so... I mean, these topics are super important, right? They can be felt like heavy topics, and uh, they are actually, but talking to you made them a bit lighter and i really hope that some of the people if somebody actually is really facing the same situation that you are talking about in their own life by listening to this podcast they can go out and really improve the situation looking for some help and everything related to that thanks a lot ben for making this happen i will stick my eyes on your website the small 
monstersproject.com and I can't wait to see a bit more the raffle you were talking about, the new jersey that is coming out and all these things and also your next travel to Europe is gonna be super good. Remember people, if you want to drop some coins on some of the charities, again, the small monstersproject.com is a good way and then love your brain and then the Trevor Project. I think these are three places where your help is going to be super appreciated. And as well, remember people that when you see something that you like and when you see somebody who is doing something cool, send them a message. Even if you don't know them, they're going to appreciate it. It's always a good move. Take your time and appreciate. Take your time and make these people, give some these people a bit of feedback. If you want to give some feedback here to the Broom Wagon Podcast, you know that you can find me on Calamaro CC or the Broom Wagon Podcast on the Instagram. It's the best place where you can go. Otherwise, just uh, Google my name and surname and you will find my website and everything related to that. So really appreciated. Also, they're a good, better than good, whatever you feel, feedback. Remember, you can put a rating and a comment in any kind of application that you're using to listen to this podcast. And as well, if you want to support a bit the work that I'm doing, you can also donate and drop some coins at the coffee link that you can find into the description below. This week's episode is finished. Can't wait for the next one. Bye.